Hello and welcome to Clock Spinning, the podcast of Magic's history as told card by card. I'm your host, Austin, and with me as always is Connor. How are you today, Connor? How are you today, Austin? I feel we always start with uh, asking how I am, but how are oh, you? Oh, man. Oh, I, well, I've, for a start, I'm on the spot in a way I'm not comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty good. Uh, it's been a been a busy week at work, but uh, just made some plans to go to the Portland Chinese Garden this weekend, which is uh, the second best of Portland's four great gardens. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited. Visit the tea house, walk around, take in some contemplative nature scenes. It'll be nice. Mm. Yeah, that sounds lovely. Yeah. We should uh, we should do a tier list of all the gardens in Portland and Los Angeles oh, on our next episode. <laughs> We're just going further and further afield. Okay, now how are you, Connor? Uh, I'm I'm good. Also, we just planned a trip to Joshua Tree for oh. next next weekend, so that should be good. It's it's really tough to to get a site there, like a campsite. Mm-hmm. Uh, they you can book them, I think, six months in advance. Uh, at a lot of the places, so they get very tight. But I found this amazing website. Just I'm going to throw this plug in here for this guy. Uh, this amazing website, Camp Flare, where hmm. you can get notified when someone cancels. So, hmm. we did okay. That well, we're see, we're already providing great content to any West Coast listeners. Um, you're welcome. Okay. So uh, Clock Spinning, in addition to sharing uh, great local travel tips, is a podcast of Magic's history told card by card. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about all of the seven mana or more enchantments in Magic the Gathering. We're not going to be talking about any creatures, just pure enchantments here. So none of that enchantment creature nonsense. This is just going to be pure, honest enchantments. Yep. No power toughness today. That's right. Um, although we, we have some cards that affect power toughness. Before we get into the meat of the episode, uh, we really enjoy comments and thoughts, whether about the cards we talked about today or next episode. We'll have a link in the show notes where you can see the other batch of seven mana enchantments we'll talk about next time. Uh, and if you have memories of playing any of these cards, you know, some epic EDH uh, play, some great cube moment, just crack them in a pack when you're younger. Uh, we, we love to hear that stuff. So please comment and, and let us know. And in an exciting announcement, Clock Spinning is now on YouTube. So if you prefer to take in your content through the YouTube, uh, you can do that here. That's nothing too fancy. It's uh, basically just the same podcast, but we do put up a handy image of each card as we talk about it. So, you know, that's that's pretty sophisticated. So check it out if you're interested. Subscribing helps us out. We won't do the whole YouTube thing where we beg you to like and subscribe and comment. But if you want to, we wouldn't complain. Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't object to it. All right, Connor, should we dive in and, and start talking about some very expensive enchantments? Let's do it. These are some good ones. <laughs> they really are. All right, starting with the bang here, the first expensive enchantment in the history of magic also happens to be the first in our list by a wonderful coincidence. Let's talk about Divine Intervention uh, from Legends. Divine Intervention is 6WW for an enchantment. Divine Intervention enters the battlefield with two intervention counters on it. At the beginning of your upkeep, remove an intervention counter from Divine Intervention. When you remove the last intervention counter from Divine Intervention, the game is a draw. Okay, so super unique effect. Basically, you play this, and then two upkeeps later, the game ends in a draw. I love this card. Uh, It's pretty funky. Um, There's uh, literally no other card in Magic like it. 
like it. There's only one other card in the game that mentions um, drawing the game. That's a Celestial Convergence, which we can talk about in a second. Um, but this is essentially the only one that lets you plan to end the game in a draw. And there's lots to say about this. But one of the things I liked that I found in my research is there's an ongoing kind of low-key debate across the EDH subreddit or whether on whether pulling this off counts as a draw or did you really, as the troll who played this, did you really win the game um, in a spiritual sense? So I'm curious for your take there, Connor. I think if you manage to pull this off, uh, you you win. You win the troll game and you essentially win the game. I mean, I, I think I have to agree that you win the troll game, but it it, does, it doesn't sound like a very fun experience to me for everybody else. <laughs> Why? The game ended. <laughs> it, it did end. And, and I looked at some of those same, you know, subreddit threads about this card and everyone's like, well, the game ended. I run this card as a way to end the game when it's like an hour, an hour and a half long. Yeah, here, here. And, and I was like, yes, I, I sympathize with that. I understand that. Sometimes you just want it to be done. But this just this feels like such such an awful way to do it to me. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of get that. Uh, maybe this is a quick time, good time to introduce our rating system and then talk about what we're rating. So for uh, this episode, we're using the standard YouTuber S to F tier. So S is the best, super special, high rating. Then we go A, B, C, D, E, and F. Uh, in descending order. So Connor, where where do you rate divine intervention on that S to F scale? It's an F for me. I have this in an S. <laughs> this is my highest this is a high rated card for me. This is a, a wide delta here. Yeah. So why why do you love it so much? So there's a couple reasons I, I love it. I think one is that it's a unique effect. And so I think, you know, any card that does something almost totally unique in magic already bumps up against A to S tier for me. And so the fact this is literally the only card in the game uh, that does this is pretty cool. I'm, uh, as uh, longer term listeners know, uh, a bit of a um, curmudgeon about EDH. And so any card that trolls EDH players and ensures a game of Commander actually ends, you know, is a win in my book. Um, I like the art. It's something you would only get back in like 93, 94 magic. It looks like something from like a medieval tapestry or something. It's super trippy and weird. I just, yeah, I, I love it all around. And, uh, and I think I'm stealing your thunder here, but the Oracle rulings actually reference the card clock spinning that our show is named after. I feel like, come on, I, I got to give it some props for that. That that I do love. And uh, uh, okay, honestly, I, I both love and hate this card. Yes, no, uh, me too. That's the right emotion to feel towards right. this card. It's such a unique and feel bad effect, but it's also such a unique and feel bad effect. Like... <laughs> Yes. This doesn't feel like a magic card. Uh, no, because it it kind of, its whole purpose is to nullify the game of magic. Exactly. It's like Shahrazad, but more so. And, you know, some of the most fun and interesting cards are ones that sort of, that set up an unusual win condition for you. And this just kind of sets up a, a game ending condition with a win for nobody, which is obviously very special for this card, but like it, it doesn't feel like part of the game. You know what I mean? What would you think if this card said, when you remove the last counter, you win? You win the game. I don't think I would like that. Either, yeah, I think I'd like that worse, actually. I think I would like it's that a lot It's not impressive, less. but it's even, I think it's more obnoxious somehow. It's, it's both obnoxious and boring because it doesn't, you know, all you have to do is play this and mm. have it survive, essentially. Mm. That's a pretty fair point. This doesn't ask... Well, I think in EDH it asks more because there's a lot of removal around the table and it's it's right. kind of that you hear a lot in uh, Commander the sentiment like, well, if people weren't able to answer a, you know an eight or 10 mana card, then they deserve to lose. So I think in a Commander context, it's less obnoxious. This would be super obnoxious in a deck that say cheated it out like in a dual, dual context. 
Right. Like, I don't know, Academy Rector or something. Yeah. Speaking of removal, I think we should say what clock spinning the card actually does. You don't think everyone's memorized it? Um, They probably aren't quite as familiar with it as we are, you know, on a on a show that is also called yeah, I'll Clock let you Spinning. That. <laughs> um, so Clock Spinning is a blue instant from Time Spiral. Uh, costs one blue mana to cast, and it has buyback three, which means you can pay an additional three colorless mana as you play it. And if you do, it goes back into your hand as it resolves, so you can use it again. So what it does is allows you to choose a counter on a permanent or a suspended card and either remove that counter or put another one of those counters on it. So it's pretty easy to see how Clock Spinning interacts with Divine Intervention here. You use it to take the counters off and win, or not win. <laughs> no one wins. <laughs> see, see, I'm just, like, the idea of the game ending in a draw is so alien to me that it, I can't even say it. Um, well, it's especially funny because it's actually quite challenging to normally to end a Magic game in a draw, right? Like, right. there's... There's other board games where that's not uncommon, but in Magic, it's like you really have to work to do it. And so it's funny to have this card that's just like, yeah, the game ends in a draw. Nobody wins. Nobody loses. Yeah. And, you know, it just, it feels so of a different time in the game. And, you know, it is. It was printed in 1994. You know, it's a time when a card would just say the game is a draw. And I feel like there's there's quite a few older cards that sort of talk about the game in sort of a more meta sense than we see on cards today. Well, so that's one other thing I like about it is that it's top down in a way that older cards are like wizards does right. a lot of top down design today, you know, famously starting with Innistrad. And ever since then, there's a lot of sets come out that whose goal is to evoke, say a fairy tale or a pop culture thing or something. And they kind of took a break from that for a while, but early in, in early magic, like alpha legends, Arabian nights, there's a lot of that kind of top down design as well, but using a much more limited, toolkit than today's designers have access to right so like from a flavor perspective like you look at it it's clearly a divine intervention it seems pretty clearly like a kind of medieval christian god intervention and like the flavor of you know a divine being intervening to say end this horrible war works pretty well right it's like super top down in a way that totally works yeah and yet would never exist today <laughs> yeah and the art totally works for me too i, I do love this art Okay, we need to land on an agreed-upon rating, but two more points real quick. Um, this only appears in 631 EDH decks, which is a lot less than the number of troll decks on EDH rec. I assume the reason is because this is $262, uh, which is a lot just for one trolley enchantment that's really only going to get played once before your playgroup asks you to remove it. But I do have to prop uh, the troll lords um, out there who've come up with interesting deck lists. Like, uh, There's a great deck on Reddit that I will link that's called Grandma's Final Wish for some reason, um, <laughs> which is a divine intervention deck commanded by Eight and a Half Tails, an obscure Kamigawa card that I have a soft spot for. So that, that all makes me very happy. Wow. Um, and another deck uh, I saw this in that I thought was pretty great is... Um, commanded by uh, Angus McKenzie, also from Legends, um, who is a, a Bant commander from Legends who taps to fog, like to prevent combat damage. Um, <laughs> and that's just like such a great, terrible, great deck. Oh, that matches this so well. I know, isn't that great? Uh, okay, all right. So I'm at S, you're at F. This is going to be hard. Uh, I, I feel very unwilling to flex, but I'm... I'm uh, let me let me hear your case. Do you want to try to bring me down? Are you willing to come up? Where where do we bring this thing? Okay, so I mean, I feel like my F tier for this card is it, it's not that it 
it's not because I dislike it. It's not because it's bad, even though it, you know, is. Uh, it's just like, it's, it just feels so wrong. Yeah. In so many ways. So like, it, it's like, I want to give it a special kind of F rating where it's just, it's not even on the table. I was just going to propose, what about an S slash F rating? Okay. It's okay. like a Schrodinger's cat. It's either an S or an F. We'll let the listener decide amongst themselves which it resolves to. I like that. And it's also, it can be very difficult to tell whether someone is saying S or F. <laughs> I, I struggle when with you're that, listening Connor. to them. So that's okay. Perfect. S slash F. And we have a we have a history of playing a little um, fan trumpet fanfare when we get an S rating. I don't. Does this get a fanfare? Does this get like a half fanfare? I don't know. I'll have to think about yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it gets like a, a fanfare followed by a womp womp. <laughs> I love it. All right. Our next one is a more solid womp womp for me. This is Legion Loyalty. Six WW for an enchantment. Creatures you control have myriad. Oh, and I, I should say this is from Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate. Uh, so very recent card. If you don't know what myriad is, Basically, whenever a creature with Myriad attacks, for each opponent other than the defending player, the player you're attacking, you create a copy of that attacking creature, and that copy is tapped and attacking another player in the game. So what Legion Loyalty does is gives all of your creatures Myriad, copies all of them, and allows you to send copies of all your creatures out to attack everybody in the game at the same time. So obviously this is an EDH card. It does literally does nothing in a 1v1 game. Uh, because Myriad does nothing in a 1v1 game. And that's why I don't like it. <laughs> it it's weird that this is such a, a unique effect to have on a card, but it also managed to, manages to feel so, so boring and uninteresting to me. There's sort of a, a running theme that I think we're going to see with some of the enchantments uh, in this episode where I feel like I can see exactly why this enchantment would be strong in a certain deck or you know, would fit perfectly into a certain kind of, especially commander deck. And I don't like how on the nose that effect is. Yeah, I'm right there with you. This is amazingly widely played in EDH for a card that's only been printed this year. It's played in about 2% of decks and a much higher share of mono white decks. Um, but I think that's because it's just like generically good. I don't think it's bad. I think it's probably good for commander as a format to have access to this effect because like Divine Intervention, this is a way for a game to end, which is great. Um, but if you look at the like high synergy cards on EDH rec for this high synergy being cards that are commonly played alongside this card, they are in order swords to plowshares, Boros charm, ruinous ultimatum, path to exile, Mardu ascendancy, brutal horde chief cultivate. Like these are just cards that are good in EDH. You know, they're just like staple cards that help make decks work in their respective colors. And that's how I feel about this. Like, it's fine. It's probably fine that it exists or even good that it exists, but I can't, I can't muster any real enthusiasm for it. Yeah. It's just kind of a, you know, a good card. And there's, there's some cards, I think some that we're going to see today that have, you know, just like one or two lines of text like this card does, but those other cards, you know, do something really cool and unique and powerful feeling. This is just boring to me. I'm I'm trying to think how to articulate this a little more eloquently, but there's just something very inelegant about an effect like this, right? There's no setup to it. Uh, there's no real thinking that needs to go into making this card work other than have a lot of creatures yeah. or have a creature that 
wants to hit everybody's face. So it just falls pretty flat. Yeah, we'll have a couple other generically good ones, especially like in green, we'll have a couple. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with these cards. It's just, I think one of the fun things about a seven plus man enchantment, right, is they do weird, quirky things. They encourage you to build a whole deck around them. And this doesn't really do that. And that's fine. It's just, I don't know, we can talk about ratings. I have this at a C just because that's the middle of the list. And I, I don't think it's bad card. I don't think it's a good card. It's just like, it's a card. Yeah, I, I had it at a B at first. And then I, after seeing the other enchantments here, I went back and changed it to a D. Because this just <laughs> feels so disappointing by comparison. Uh, I'm fine with D for disappointing. All right. All right. Let's talk about a card I have a lot more passion for. Overwhelming Splendor. 6WW for an Aura Curse from uh, Hour of Devastation. Enchant Player. Creatures Enchanted Player Controls lose all abilities and have base power and toughness 1-1. Enchanted player can't activate abilities that aren't mana abilities or loyalty abilities. So essentially, curse you stick on your opponent. Um, it has a humility effect for all their creatures and uh, prevents them from activating almost all abilities. I love this card. Uh, it's super fun. It just sort of tickles your brain instantly. Um, to me, it's a great contrast with uh, Legion Loyalty, which is just like a generically good card. Uh, whereas this card, I think, is probably weaker, certainly in Commander, but even in other formats, it's like. Well, I mean, not not with Myriad, but it's not like an overwhelmingly strong card, but it is really good and it's really compelling. Like if you open this in a pack, if you're 10 or if you're 97, you want to put it in a deck. Like there's just something really compelling and fun about this effect. And like, who doesn't like the idea that you're so overawing your opponent that all their creatures shrink to nothingness and uh, their best laid plans just fall apart. And I'd normally hate the little carve out for loyalty abilities here, but I'm going to choose to assume that that is a storyline thing for the Planeswalkers who are posing Nicole Bolas's rise. And in which case, that's mm. a pretty nifty little bit of top-down design. I just made that up, but I like it. I like my theory. I like that too. Let's let's assume it's true. <laughs> I, lo- I love this card too. I mean, curses are just cool. Like, yeah. it, it feels like a much more interesting way of sort of enabling both EDH and 1v1 play as compared to a card like Legion Loyalty that can only be played in one of those environments you know this this is obviously awesome in a in a 1v1 game and probably just ends the game for you um but even in edh you know like the figuring out who you're going to curse who who you're going to (laughs) yeah yeah uh make suffer under your overwhelming splendor is just fun to think about um like this is the kind of effect that i want from an eight mana card it's still kind of answerable and you know possible to sort of work around it it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. game ending but it's definitely game bending Mm -hmm. um so yeah this is this is an s tier for me yeah this is an easy s tier for me too i still have more to say about it but it sounds like we're just agreed this is an s yes Something that's interesting I noticed about this card is, um, so we're going to talk about 39 cards in total across these two episodes. There's 39 seven plus mana enchantments and magic. Five out of those 39 cards are from Amonkhet block. Um, and that's pretty weird considering Amonkhet block didn't have an enchantment theme, didn't really have a CMC matters theme, but just for some reason in these two small sets out of, you know, dozens of sets in the history of magic something like you know what is that five out of 39 that's like 
13% of all the cards we're going to talk about are from that block. So I don't know if someone in uh, R&D working on those two sets just was like, I love expensive enchantments, so we're going to stick a bunch in here or what? But I'm I'm happy happy about it. Yeah. Huh. That's funny. Uh, another thing that's kind of fun here is this is one of only two cards in the entire game uh, that stops players from activating abilities. The other one, I'll pause if anyone wants to shout it out while they're listening at home and feel smart. The other one is Abeyance from Weatherlight. If you got that, seriously, please email us at clockspinningpodcast at gmail.com and we will send you a sticker because you deserve that is it. A deep cut. <laughs> Super deep cut. Um, uh, and the other quick note I'll have about Overwhelming Splendor is just go look at the uh, rulings in Oracle uh, text on Scryfall or Gatherer. They are a nightmare, like all these humility effects that set power and toughness and lose abilities. This, is, this card creates a lot of really confusing rule situations pretty quickly. I bet. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention on this. So one of the uh, really fun, cool enchantments we talked about in uh, one of our Champions of Kamigawa Black Cards episode uh, was the legendary enchantment Knight of Souls Betrayal, which is a four mana black Mm. enchantment that gives all creatures minus one, minus one. (laughs) (laughs) I already like it. The interaction between that card and this card is just beautiful. Saffron Olive actually has a uh, an against the odds deck that he put together that basically the goal is to completely lock the opponent out of the game uh and overwhelming splendor with knight of souls betrayal is sort of the the heart of that oh i think i watched this one yeah this is the teaching arena zoomers about hard locks video yes yeah <laughs> that's a really good one your creatures your creatures do nothing they they don't exist uh that is one of the things i like about this this topic and a lot of the cards we're going to talk about is Almost everyone makes you think, did Saffron Olive make a deck about this? Like, they just <laughs> right. make you want to build a deck around them. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Easy S tier for our good friend, Overwhelming Splendor. Easy S. Okay, next up, our, our last white enchantment, actually, Touch of the Eternal. This is a card from the 2013 core set. Just that one printing, and I think we'll see why. Mm-hmm. Uh, touch of the eternal it's 11 is, cents by the way despite being printed only once at rare so load up load up on them <laughs> five five white white for an enchantment at the beginning of your upkeep count the number of permanents you control your life total becomes that number uh so this is not a card that excites me like overwhelming splendor <laughs> it's i think pretty awful in in edh uh, you start with 40 life in that format <laughs> um, and you're probably not going to have 40 or more permanents at any point in an EDH game. And I think this is probably pretty bad in cube as well, just because if you're, you know, if you're to the point that you're desperate enough to be playing Touch of the Eternal to try to keep yourself from losing the game, I think you've already lost that game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that totally resonates for me. Yeah, not pop- popular in uh, EDH for obvious reasons. I did find a few people, um, looking at ways to just donate this, you know, in like Zedru type decks. And I think that's pretty funny. <laughs> okay. Especially like if you that. donate it to like a control opponent who doesn't have any creatures. <laughs> I think that's pretty mm-hmm. funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, not too much to say about this one, really. Uh, one thing that is kind of fun, just as a little magic rules quirk, is uh, any effect that sets your life total like this does, so this sets your life total. It says it becomes that number. Under the hood, what's happening is you're either gaining or losing whatever amount of life that is to put you at that life total. So if you were, say, at one and you had 10 permanents, you would gain nine life in your upkeep to let you become someone with 10 life. And there are uh, 
five cards in the history of magic that say something like, whenever you gain life, do this much of that thing. So Ageless Entity, Lich's Mastery, Light of Promise, Nykthos Paragon, and Sunbond are all marginally good with this. I think you got a deck there. How many colors is that? Uh, that's uh, that's three colors, and uh, okay. all, four out of those five cards uh, just put plus one, plus one counters on, on things. So <laughs> oh, don't no. get too excited. Well, I'll, you're going to have some show notes, so. people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, one other thing before we rate this, I suspect we'll be done with this card pretty quick. But one other thing is somehow this led me to a guy on the EDH subreddit who'd written 12,600 words about an obscure commander called Inias the Eternal, which included a discussion right. of this card. And uh, I just got to give uh, give that guy props. He's putting clock spinning to shame. Wow, that is a whole lot of words. I'm, I'm still scrolling through part one. I know, it just goes on and on. It's it's like a novel. It reminds wow. me of uh, Stephen Menendian, the vintage player, uh, wrote a book called Understanding Gush, which is pretty much what it sounds like. It's like a 400-page book, largely about understanding how to play the card Gush ult- optimally. And it's surprisingly good. So, you know, if you really want to go deep on the card Gush, check it out. It's a... Uh, it's worth buying a hard copy. Plus, everyone who looks at it will go, "What? what is this book? <laughs> so uh, what kind of rating do you give Touch of the Eternal? I gave it a D, but honestly, talking about it with you, I'm like sliding even towards like an E or an F. Like this this just doesn't create any excitement in my bosom. Hmm. Hmm. You know, what happens in your bosom when you think about this card, Connor? I'm, my bosom's feeling a D. Feeling a D? You know, I f- it's like... <laughs> your bosom is a D? Is- my bosom is a, <laughs> it's a D, so remember that. But at least this kind of does something a little bit interesting, you know? It's not quite an F for me. I feel I feel bad or at least weird about giving Divine Intervention an F. It's a special F, but I don't know. Touch of the Eternal, just it doesn't feel like it sinks quite that far. At least it's unique. What about an E? Like maybe this is the reason the E rating exists is just to give us something just okay. above F for the lamest cards. Okay. But the ones we don't want to actively punish. All right. Yeah, that seems right. Let's give it an E. All right, E. Okay, now our first blue card, Cast Through Time from Rise of the Eldrazi. Four, you, 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 seven mana total. Enchantment, instant and sorcery spells you control have rebound. And rebound is exile the spell as it resolves if you cast it from your hand. At the beginning of your next upkeep, you may cast that card from exile without paying its mana cost. Uh, honestly, uh, this is, I think this might be literally the least notes I have about any card we're going to talk about today. I just have no feelings about this card. It's fine, but it's just so like, it's kind of like enchantment with set mechanic. You know, it's like, it sits there, it does the thing that the set does. It does it fine. It doesn't really make me want to do anything. Very exciting. Um, I, I don't know. I found it so bland. It actually caused me to procrastinate on rating cards for 24 hours because I just couldn't, couldn't come up with anything interesting to say about it. So over to you, Connor. Yeah. So, so if you were wondering why clock spinning was out a day later than you were expecting it, uh, because of the very strict schedule that we keep, that's literally uh, that's why, why this is releasing <laughs> on Friday instead cast of through time. Cast through time has caused this episode to be cast 24 hours further into the future than it otherwise would have been. Yeah, I feel pretty much the same as you, which is to say not much. Like this this kind of reminds me of Legion loyalty in that it's just sort of like yeah. big enchantment that gives everything set mechanic. Like this is obviously not limited to EDH the way that Legion loyalty is, 
but it's still, you know, you just look at it and you say, okay, yeah, I know, I know exactly what that's for. You put this in like a spell slingery deck with a lot of instants and sorceries. Maybe you have like a couple of big ones that do big stuff and you get to copy them. Okay. Yeah. One awkward thing. So we're going to have another card coming up later. That's very, very similar to this card. Not to spoil it, but it is called uh, Swarm Intelligence, if you want to look it up. One thing that this card suffers from is, you know, in a blue Spellslinger deck, especially mono blue, a lot of the spells you might be slinging are like counter spells. Um, yeah. And this is like utterly useless with counter spells. So that's a little bit awkward. That is pretty. I, I didn't even think of that aspect of it. I was just thinking like of all burn spells, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense since this is such a blue card. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's nice with, say, like, it's great with, like, a time walk effect, right? It's like, um, yeah, time walk, rebound, time walk again. You know, that's pretty fun. Um, I find it pretty interesting this card's been out for 12 years, basically through the entire lifetime of EDH's, like, birth as a mainstream format. And it's only in 1,100 decks on EDH rack, which for a card that can get jammed into a whole bunch of kinds of decks isn't a whole lot. So I don't think we're the only ones who feel kind of mad about this card. Yeah, there's just not that much to feel about it. It's just kind of there. That extends to the art too. Like the art it really is does. fine. It's it's very well rendered. It's a really nice rendering of a hand casting some stones into a body of water, I guess. Um, it's uh, the same guy on the other side of the water, but in a different time. Yeah, it's funny. There's no twist here, right? It's just like... It's just, it literally is just, it could be me. I could put on a bathrobe and I could be the, I could create this image. <laughs> it is. It's just a bathrobe with a hood and some runes on the sleeve, <laughs> which would be a pretty sick bathrobe, honestly. Yeah. What? How come there are no hooded bathrobes? Yeah. What? Okay. Where, where are the, the mage and warlock style bathrobes? That you know, with how hard really Wizards is monetizing magic, they should issue Planeswalker bathrobes. Oh. You could be Jace Bellerin, a Jace Bellerin bathrobe. Oh man, I don't know if I'd buy Jace's bathrobe, but I'd buy someone's bathrobe. <laughs> who's who's bath? Which Blazewalker's bathrobe I, do you want most? I, I don't know. I got I got to think about that. Maybe we should run a poll on Planeswalker bathrobes. Hmm. Okay. Uh, all right. I think the fact that we got to Planeswalker bathrobe indicates we should move on to the next card. Where are you on this card? I have a C. Just like it's C. Yeah. All right. Great. Yep. Okay. Next up, we've got Curse of Unbinding from let's see what is this from again uh midnight hunt commander um so this is another aura curse enchant player at the beginning of enchanted players upkeep that player reveals cards from the top of their library until they reveal a creature card put that card onto the battlefield under your control that player puts the rest of the revealed cards into their graveyard i think i think i maybe just really love curses in general <laughs> but mm-hmm. they're they're a super lovable card type they really are i just i i love the idea of this card that you're you're taking your opponent's deck you're turning it against them you are stealing their creatures while also potentially milling them out significantly if they are like a creature light deck like maybe a deck that runs cast through time mm-hmm. <laughs> just, <laughs> i think it's i think this is probably less powerful than I want it to be and less powerful than it sort of seems in the abstract. You know, I think in a lot of situations you're going to end up maybe milling two cards and then getting like a, a two, two from this, but just like the idea of it is, is so cool to me. To me, this is one of those classic magic designs and that it doesn't do like 400 things. It just does one, but the thing it does is super interesting, right? It like starts you thinking about, well, which player should I put it on? Um, 
what kind of thing am I hoping to land? How valuable is the mill to my deck? Can I take other advantage of the mill? Do I push this into more of a mill direction or harder on the creature direction? Like it just gets your mind kind of worrying while doing something that's really simple and easy to explain. Yeah. So to me, this is like uh, kind of just a really elegant design. Uh, and I, I like, I like that. I like the aesthetics of magic design. I think this one really nails that. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's, it's fun to think about. And even in a, you know, a one V one setting, the idea of like slapping this down and your opponent just being like under this curse, just losing cards to you constantly is just seems great. In EDH though, it, this seems to appear in about 1% of decks overall, which seemed pretty hmm. high to me. Yeah, it's not bad. Kind of unsurprisingly a staple um, in Lind Cheerful Tormentor decks. Uh, she's a curse, kind of curse-focused commander that came out last year that basically lets you get a curse back from uh, your graveyard whenever it leaves the battlefield and it attaches to you. And then at the beginning of your upkeep, you can take one curse that's attached to you and put it on someone else and then draw two mm-hmm. cards. Hmm. Uh, so, hmm. you know, the, the synergy there is pretty, pretty obvious, but uh, yeah, just a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Another interesting note on this in commander is that uh, one of the problems with uh, curses and commanders, right. They just punish one player. Uh, and so, you know, it's not always the best thing to be doing in a format where you have typically three opponents. Something that's clever here is this isn't really so much about cursing your opponent as benefiting you. And so, because, you know, it's about you getting the creature more than I think it's about you milling out the opponent. And so I, I think that's a clever little touch is it's a curse thing, but it uh, it's really just a way to give you a creature for turn, a uh, creature every turn for free. Yeah. Yeah. I think that gets back to the elegant design also. One other little bit of subtle elegance is this triggers on their upkeep, not your upkeep. So you don't have to wait a whole turn cycle to get some value, which is pretty cool. That's That's very true. One other little nifty thing, and then I promise I'll stop gushing about this uh, it's a lot to gush about yeah one one final thought i had was you can cast this on yourself oh i didn't think of that if you have some deck that's just full of like giant ridiculous creatures that you're never going to cast you can curse of unbinding yourself to cheat them all out wow so, something to think about wow i think you might have just bumped up my rating on this oh one other thing we should talk about before ratings is i like the art on here quite a lot it's simple um but it's it's kind of figurative in a way that I like. You know, I've got a lot of beefs with the current direction of magic, if I'm honest. I don't want to get into my boomer sensibilities, but there are things that drive me bananas. But I feel like the art direction in the last few years has really taken a turn for the better away from kind of digital, photorealistic, like branded character centric art towards a lot more figurative, interesting pieces uh, where it feels like artists have really stretched themselves and gotten conceptual. And this is a good example, like... Uh, it could have been a lot more literal, but it's it's not. It's figurative and playful and and a little bit creepy. Yeah, and a little bit. The concept of it is a little bit feels a little bit old school magic too, with like executed in a a modern way, but you know, kind of a an old school look to it. Yeah, for anyone who's not looking, it's a it's a guy kind of screaming in frustration or agony or stress, and as his head kind of unravels into a bunch of papyrus. Really well executed. Absolutely. And if you want to see any of the cards we're talking about today, just click a link in the show notes. There will be a link to all the a scryfall search that pulls up all the cards. So this is uh, this is an S tier card for me. If you couldn't tell already. Whoa, uh, I was a B. I think I'm willing to go to A. I, I think I need a little bit of more persuasion to S. Why is this just the utter cream of the crop for you? I don't. I, th- I think it's the the elegant design that we've been talking about. You know, this is a card you can cast on yourself for a certain kind of value. It's a card that 
plays one way in EDH and another way in 1v1. Uh, it prompts you to think about how you could use it, but it's also going to vary a lot from game to game. It's not just a card where you think of the mm. combo and then slot it into a deck oh, and you know exactly what it does now. It changes its dynamic depending on what you're up against and what kinds of creatures you think you might get out of this. And it's it's all done in this this kind of mechanical way that I think is very easy to understand and, I don't know, easy to appreciate for me at least. I can't resist your logic. Let's call it an S tier. All right. Got him. Boom. All right. Next up, Day of the Dragons from Scourge. This is one of my favorite childhood cards. Day of the Dragons is for you, 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 for an enchantment. When Day of the Dragons enters the battlefield, exile all creatures you control. Then create that many 5-5 red dragon creature tokens with flying. When Day of the Dragons leaves the battlefield, sacrifice all dragons you control, then return the exiled cards to play under your control. Okay, this is part of an amazing duet from Scourge called uh, of Day of the Dragons and another called Call Form of the Dragon we'll be talking about next episode. Uh, both of these cards are great. Both of them are super evocative. Scourge had a um, two several major themes, uh, but two of the most important were CMC or mana value, as we'd say now, matters. So the cost of cards matters a lot. Uh, and dragons uh, were a big part of Scourge uh, and just all over the place. I love that this card supports both of those in a really elegant way. And I just love how big and splashy this is. Like who doesn't like turning all your creatures into dragons? And I also like that for a card that's 20 years old, it doesn't punish you when things go wrong. Like I feel like I'm really surprised you get the freebie here of getting all your creatures back when Day of the Dragons <laughs> Um, I'm really surprised because I feel like it, I would have expected them to go, we already gave you a bunch of five fives. What more do you want? You got the dragons. Yeah, you got dragons. What more do you, what more do you need, kid? So yeah, I, I just really, I love this card. This is one of my uh, early favorite cards in Magic. Yeah, I this is such a, I mean, this was such a cool card to look at back then too. And just like, think about, you know, this amazing game where you're going to, play Day of the Dragons, you're going to have a board full of red dragons that you've created with a blue card uh, and burn your opponent to death with these giant flyers. Like, it's just... Yeah. It it looks like a Johnny card because it's for you, 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 and it's enchantment, but it's really a Timmy card. Yeah, this is this is Timmy all over the place. I also like that it, it does more than it looks like. So obviously, the base case here is just upgrading all your creatures. But I've noticed a few EDH decks that basically use this as a form of repeatable blink. Um, because, of course, one Day of the Dragons leaves, the exiled creatures come back. So if you can flicker Day of the Dragons, you can flicker your entire board, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is like so clever and fun. I, I do like that a lot. And then, of course, if you have synergy when your dragons die on top of that, anyway, it just it gets your brain worrying. It does. Um, I was just going to talk about some like very these very happy combos that people were talking about on Gatherer. I won't get into anything super specific, uh, but they you know, basically revolve around the cards kind of, it's like a little bit clunky, the rules text, at least to me. Like you have to exile everything and then you get these dragons that replace them. And then when this leaves play, you sacrifice all those dragons and then the exiled cards come back. So what people on Gatherer have really latched onto is that if you turn your dragons to another type of creature, let's say a squirrel, or you cause them to lose their creature types, <laughs> oh, then they never oh, leave play when Day of the Dragons wow. goes away. 
it says oh, sacrifice all dragons that. you control. So it's not good, but it's cool. It's not good, but it's very fun. You can change your dragons into something else, and then they will not go away when Day of the Dragons does. Um, but all of the cards that were removed with Day of the Dragons will come back. So you mm. get your dragons and you get your cake too. And mm. if you have stolen an opponent's creature, this was kind of a little like fun subtext to this whole thread. If you've stolen creatures from your opponent temporarily, let's say, then you get to keep them when they come back with Day of the Dragons. Mm. So if you, let's say you've cast a red <laughs> spell that steals an opponent's creature for one turn, gives them haste, uh, and then you cast Day of the Dragons. So, you know, we're, you know, just talking like 11, 12 mana at this point. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Cast Day of the Dragons. Their creature gets exiled, and you get okay. a dragon in its place. Okay. When Day of the Dragons goes away, the exiled creature comes back under your control. Huh. So the huh. effect that the effect of the card that would have forced you to give it back to your opponent mm-hmm. no longer applies. So you get to keep everything. One more thing is these are two separate abilities. So this has the Oblivion Ring problem or opportunity, depending on where you look at it, how you look at it, that if you manage to remove Day of the Dragons while the trigger first triggers on the stack, you get the dragons and your creatures, right? Because you play Day of the Dragons. The first triggered ability to exile your creatures and create dragons goes on the stack. Then you remove Day of the Dragons. Its second ability goes on the stack. And if you resolve that before the dragons get created, you get the dragons and your creatures. Wow. This is very elaborate. One other note before we get to ratings. I really like uh, Scourge. I started So Scourge was basically our first set. We started somewhere between Legions and Scourge, I think. Uh, not that we were paying attention to set releases at the time. So I'm obviously biased, but I do think if you look back at the spoiler, Scourge is just fun. It's like over the top. It's full of slivers and dragons and seven mana things and morph and all this other like baddie nonsense. And I just love it. I think Scourge is just such a fun set. And this to me exemplifies like the sort of unbridled fun of Scourge. Like I feel like Magic went through a an interesting but slightly joyless period before Onslaught Block. Like Odyssey Block is great. But like Mark Rosewater talks about is one of the spikiest blocks in Magic. It's very focused on optimal tight play. And the designs kind of reflect that. They're very tight and terse and kind of puzzle-like. I feel like like Scourge, Onslaught Block as a whole, but especially Scourge is just like, have fun. Here's all these crazy cards. Do what you can with them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Strongly agree. What's your rating, Connor? Uh, this, I mean, this has to be an S. Yeah, I'm super biased, but yeah, let's call this an S tier. All right. We're handing S tiers out like candy today. I just want to let our listeners know we don't always do this. These cards are just that good. Yeah, it's it's hard not to with these guys. Okay, we've got another Scourge classic here. Decree of Silence from Scourge. 6 UU for an enchantment. Whenever an opponent casts a spell, counter that spell and put a depletion counter on Decree of Silence. If there are three or more depletion counters on Decree of Silence, sacrifice it. You can also cycle it for 4 UU. And when you do, you can counter-target spell. Uh, so it's an enchantment with a very expensive uh, cycling and countering alternative. Uh, just a really cool card. So basically, you put this down. Uh, you can counter three spells with it, uh, unless you have a way to manipulate these depletion counters. Uh, <laughs> and then you sacrifice it. Um, so this is actually part of a five-color cycle of Decree cards from Scourge. Uh, and this is the only one that is not an instant or sorcery. Uh, all the others are instants or sorcery. Similarly expensive. 
but all pretty different from this. All five of them also feature this, uh, I guess, pretty prominent character from Scourge named Corona False God. Corona appears in some form, usually in the form of a shadow, in the original artwork for all five of the decrees. And sadly, this is the only one of the five decrees that has never seen a reprint. That is sad. Yeah, it's a it's certainly an iconic cycle for me. I really I uh, really like all these. Again, I talked about Scourge being our first block, um, our first set. You know, seeing these big splashy cards like this certainly made a big impression on me. I think this one a little less so because I was I think just a little bit confused about counter spells when I first started playing Magic. Definitely. Um, I, I particularly the spell part. I remember like this. Does this affect creatures? If it doesn't affect creatures, basically everything we play is creatures. So is this good? So I, I was pretty confused by this card. Now I, I like it. I would say it's, you know, to me, Decree of Justice stands above all other all the other decrees. But this is solidly like second tier. Two other things that hold this card back a little bit for me are I don't like Corona. I think Corona is kind of lame. I don't know why. I think it's because the card Corona to me is lame. It's like super complicated and convoluted and just not not cromulent from a design perspective. And then the other thing here that's a little bit rough is it's pretty cool countering three things for once for the cost of one card. That's great. If you do the kind of mana math of like 2.67 mana per counterspell, I mean, it checks out. That's about what a counterspell should cost on average, but it's not exactly like it doesn't get your pulse pounding. Yeah, and and I think that, you know, aside from just the the rate of that, there's the you know, pretty major disadvantage of uh your opponents knowing that <laughs> that it's yeah. there. Uh a lot of the power of of a counterspell is your opponent not being sure whether you have one and whether it's going to be able to counter the particular spell that they're playing. So a decree of silence counters everything. But your opponent can see it and knows how many depletion counters it has, knows how long it's going to last, uh, which makes countering um, a lot less good. Yeah, I think even more so in uh, in Commander, where you're... Uh, we're talking about Commander a lot today, but these are all seven mana cards, so they feel more commander <laughs> right. for the most part. Particularly Commander, right, where your opponents can just like throw some signets into this thing. It's like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> yep. Although, I, it, I guess it does create a little bit of an interesting kind of... Like, I guess it's a prisoner's dilemma, right? Like, who's going to be the one to sacrifice their cards to get rid of your decree of silence? Yeah, or or will it be a team effort? Each each other player could give one. Yeah, it could lead to some resentment. So that's kind of fun. It does have a lot of cool interactions with cards that manipulate counters, like a card I'd never heard of from, I think, Saviors of Kamigawa called Chisei, Heart of Oceans. I think it's Betrayers. Thank you, Betrayers, who's basically a four mana, four, four flyer with the downside of needing to remove a counter from a permanent you control each upkeep. Um, but with Decree of Silence, that's very marginally better. Mm-hmm. You love to see it. You love to see it. And some other things like uh, flicker effects, I think are great with this, right? If you can just keep flickering this and resetting it, um, it gets a lot better. Uh, cards like uh, Hex Parasite. Um, or Hex Drinker, you know, that remove all counters are cute with this. And then Solemnity that just prevents counters going on permanence at all. Uh, seems pretty good with Decree of Silence. Just lock your opponents out of the game for two enchantments. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, I love the, like, the counter manipulation aspect of this. Sadly, it seems like where this sees the most play in Commander, at least, is with Gavi Nest Warden, uh, who is a kind of a cycling oriented well very much a cycling oriented commander oh, um, that just lets That's... you your first cycling each turn you can pay zero instead of the cycling cost so that oh huh. makes me really sad because it just turns this incredible card into a zero mana counter spell 
Yeah, zero mana counterspell draw a card. That is pretty good. That's pretty good, but it's it's not as special as the full decree of silence experience. Yeah. Well, oh, and it looks like Gavi wants you to draw two cards a turn so that you can uh, create dinosaur cat tokens. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Those dinosaur cats in Gavi's art are pretty cute. Okay. Uh, what do you rate this thing? So for me, this isn't quite like Day of the Dragons S tier, but it's, it's a solid A tier for me. Sorry, I'm I'm still processing these dinosaur cats. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at these, ratings. I'm looking at these, and I can't. They don't look like dinosaurs or cats to me. Well, so I don't like the one on her lap, but the one behind her, I think that's standing up, I think is super cute. I gotta, I gotta get a closer look at this. Zoom, zoom and enhance. Gavi. Put it through some kind of AI that some neural net that enhances images. Yeah, I just gotta get like the, you know, the guy from the the station that enhances security footage. Okay. Okay. Now I see it. And she's, she's patting one on the head too. Yeah. It's so cute. Okay. Those are cute. But Connor, we're, we're not here to rate Gavi Ness Warden. We're not. This is an A for me. Yeah, totally agree. It's an A. Not quite Ness, but, but close. A tier. Yeah. Let's go with A. All right. Let's talk about Dismiss Into Dream. Uh, first printed in M14. Dismiss Into Dream. 6U for an enchantment. Each creature your opponents control is an illusion in addition to its other types and has, when this creature becomes the target of a spell or ability, sacrifice it. Uh, So I think this thing's probably terrible, but boy, it's just a fun effect to think about. I think the biggest strike against it is basically that your opponent needs to run creatures, which isn't always a guarantee, but it it does tickle my brain and there's some fun meme combos you can do with it. The best thing I found uh, is with a card from Mercadian Masks called Shoving Match, which uh, if you haven't uh, heard of this card, I won't blame you. I hadn't heard of it. A Shoving Match is to you for an instant. uh, And it says, until end of turn, all creatures gain tap tap target creature. So it just turns the entire board into a giant brawl, uh, shoving each other to death, which I think is sort of wonderful. Um, <laughs> That's fun. I also like it with fireball, which of course, uh, famously you can add targets to fireball for one mana. So you can just fireball where X is zero, but then dump a bunch of mana to increase the number of targets. Commanders that have abilities that tap to target. There's just lots of cute interactions with this. And therefore I've got a soft spot for it. I don't think it's amazing, but I think it's cute. Oh, one other cute one is there's a pair of terrible cards, one from Legends called Sea King's Blessing and another from Invasion called Sway of Illusion um, that change the color of any number of target creatures. Uh, So that's pretty cute too. So like for one blue mana, you can just like Regeki... Uh, your opponent's board. So that anyway, just missing a dream. Not amazing, but some cute interactions. Yeah, I honestly just don't feel much about this card. It's oh boo. I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of cute, but it it sort of reminds me of some of the other enchantments we were talking about earlier, where you look at it and you just kind of know exactly what you're supposed to do. You know what I mean? Like you play this, you find things that target things, and then you use those, and it just. It's not that interesting to me. Huh. I kind of get that, but I feel like the difference to me between this and cast through time, say, is you know what you need to do, but it's still like, it's a little more of a deck building puzzle. Like to me, cast through time is like, put this into decks with instant sorceries. Whereas this is more like warp your entire deck around this to make it, it good and interesting. That's fair. I do like the art quite a lot here. Really? Uh, you want to describe it? Uh, it's it's pretty hard to describe. It's sort of a like very impressionist painting of like a dog beast demon 
uh, <laughs> sort of, uh, mm-hmm. it almost has a, a cave painting quality to it. Uh, and there's, there's kind of three images of this dog beast demon and each one is kind of more illusory and glowing blue than the next. And you can see it being turned into an illusion in addition to its other creature types, dog beast demon. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's cool and, and kind of unique, you know, you don't see art in this style very often in the game. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the artist here, I'd never heard of, Sam Wolf Connolly, only did five pieces for Magic. I'd say four of them are really good. Uh, he did that promo Swords to Plowshares where um, it's like uh, it's like a kind of time-lapse effect of a, a man with a sword, and then there's a bunch of intermediary images, and then mm. a, a man holding a plowshare or a, a hoe. It's a little bit literal, but it's a it's a fun bit of art. So yeah, yeah, it's a pity that Sam Wolf Connolly didn't get some more pieces because uh, he's got a unique uh, unique style. Yeah. His Grave Exchange, which is a uh, forgettable, terrible common from Abyssin Restored, also has pretty good art. So it's a pity we didn't see more of this guy. Hmm. Uh, well, where do you rate Dismissing a Dream? I have it at a B tier. It's a, This is a C tier for me just because I don't really feel much about it at all. Yeah, I hear you. I didn't feel as mad about this as some of the other Maz. Um can you go up to B just because it's got cool art and it does something? It, it at least does something unique. There's no other card that does something quite like this. Yeah, that's that's true. All right, okay, we can do B. All right, bullied to B. Bullying to B. Okay, next card is Eye of the Storm from Ravnica, the original Ravnica. Five UU for an enchantment, of course. Whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery card, exile it. Then that player copies each instant or sorcery card exiled with Eye of the Storm. For each copy, the player may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. Now, this I like. It's not, I don't think it's good, but it it introduces this kind of unpredictable wackiness into the game that I just really enjoy. Uh, you can set things up for some kind of crazy, you know, storm style plays for yourself, uh, but that plan can also backfire on you in <laughs> a pretty big way if your opponent has better instance or sorceries because. Every player gets the benefit uh, of Eye of the Storm. So yeah, I just I I really enjoy cards like this that sort of have a, a facially symmetrical effect. They you know impact every player in the same way, but this can still be kind of manipulated or have your deck built around it in an interesting way. I'm less high on this than you are. Uh, I like it. It's certainly a unique effect to me. It's it started me thinking like I almost feel like we need a taxonomy of seven plus mana enchantment effects like i feel like so far a lot of the cards we've had are like these kind of trolly um chaosy chaos mm-hmm. storm cards like this one or like uh dismiss into dream divine intervention uh we've had a good number of curses uh and then coming up we're gonna add like a lot of auras like an astonishing number of auras and control magic effects coming up uh, and i feel like a lot of these also are just kind of like do the thing the color does but more so like i would put for example, cast through time into that bucket. This one for me is fine. I'm not as into these chaosy cards, even though I like trolling cards. I, I these chaos cards kind of bore me. Um, hmm. I did like somebody, someone on EDH, the EDH subreddit asked, "What's a good card uh, to use with Eye of the Storm?" And someone just replied, "Obliterate," and didn't say anything else. Um, uh, <laughs> and obliterate is a can't be countered sorcery that destroys all artifacts, creatures, and lands. So that's someone who just wants to watch <laughs> the world burn. That's awesome. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I'm sad to hear that you don't like the Eye of the Storm as much as I do. I I like this a lot better than Cast Through Time because Cast Through Time only affects you. It's on, It can sort of only be good for you, whereas Eye of the Storm is just 
like throwing everything into chaos, which different. <laughs> that's not good in every deck. That's something you have to think about and build around that can create all kinds of weird play patterns. Yeah, I hear. I feel like if you're putting this in a deck, you better have a reason, I guess. Like if you're just putting this in for chaos, then I think it's just going to lead to a lot of miserable and confusing board states, states that become exhausting quickly. But on the other hand, if you're using this to, as the name sort of suggests, say storm off, like I think this can be pretty good, like as a way to just stack a bunch of effects up and then, you know, go off and I don't know, cast brain freeze or mind's desire or something. I I feel much happier about it in that context as just a troll card. I don't know. I feel like it's going to result in a lot of drama without a whole lot of uh, payoff. Okay. Well, you saying all that actually makes me like it even more because... (laughs) But you hadn't you, even thought of using it for good, just I, for trolling. I, I had, <laughs> I, I hadn't even <laughs> considered using this to actually do, like, actually execute a plan. But now that you're pointing it out, if you what? have, where, where does that take you on this thing? I, I have no idea what this combo would be. But if you have a whole bunch of expensive instants and sorceries that somehow interact with each other in a fun and interesting way, but you don't really have. Like say storm to, cards. You don't have, but you don't. Bear with me. You don't have a way okay. to set all of those up to go off in in the same turn. Uh-huh. Eye of the storm lets you basically stack them over time, right? Yes. Like you just you you play that whenever you want to. You exile. Oh, it. you're saying you it's a build it your later. own storm in some I'm, ways. It is because you you exile that. You build it up uh. over time, just kind of playing cards as you go and suddenly you have some kind of spell Tron that Mm -hmm. is doing, I don't don't know what, dealing 4,000 damage in one turn. It could do anything. Yeah, I'm warming to it too. The name's got to be a knowing reference, right? Eye of the Storm. It must be. Um, There was some Ravnica, recent Ravnica block card that also does a stormy thing that's called like, Oh, shoot, what is it called? It's called like Growl Storm or what is it? Hold on. A Thousand Year Storm from uh, Guilds of Ravnica is also a like build your own storm card. Yeah, okay. I, I can give... So I had this at a C, which I think is harsh. Where, where do you have it, Connor? That's harsh. I've got it at an A. It's not it's not like an S tier Day of the Dragons type card, but uh-huh. just fun. Yeah, uh, okay. All right, I'll go to A. A All is right. fine. Yes. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about Kiora Best... Best the Sea God. That is hard to say. Kiora, Best the Sea God is a saga from Theros Beyond Death. It costs five UU. Chapter one, create an 8-8 blue Kraken token with hexproof. Chapter two, tap all non-land permanents, target opponent controls. They don't untap during their controller's next untap step. And then chapter three, gain control of target permanent and opponent controls. Untap it. Oh man, this card sure is a lot of value. Honestly, the kind of old man magic part of me just looks at this and goes like literally back when I started playing magic, you would have just gotten the 8-8 with this and the 8-8 probably would have like eaten three islands every upkeep or something. <laughs> so like, true though. I just cannot believe the amount of value this card has. And it Staple wouldn't, to it. It wouldn't have hex proof. It would have island walk. Yeah, exactly. Yes, it would have island walk and maybe island home. Um, which for anyone who doesn't know is an ability that they briefly keyworded and then unkeyworded that those creatures only attack when you control an island. But we yeah, never, like there's so many played an island home era. No, no one played an island home. They're, they're unplayable and unlovable. <laughs> anyway, uh, any, anyway, so uh, beyond my kind of old man resentment that kids these days get to have all this fun that I didn't get to have, I played a lot of standard when this was in standard. And while this card never felt like 
all the way to unfair, let alone broken. It's just, I don't like this card because I think it's just too much value. Basically, this gives you the two best creatures on the board um, for seven mana. Um, interestingly, I think I might be in the minority on thinking this is strong. Like this got a lot of chatter in the cube subreddit when it was released, but basically none since then. Um, unfortunately cube Cobra's play rate stats are broken right now. So I can't validate this, but my sense is that I would have thought when this came out that this would be a cube all-star and shown up everywhere. But I think instead it's been a like, okay card and cubes that have seven drops, but nothing earth shattering. I, I feel like F like after seeing this card, the sea God must really hate this much value like he's been bested by this eight eight the permanence stolen uh but like i i look at this especially right after eye of the storm the mana cost is the same eye of the storm gives you a symmetrical effect that requires a lot of work to get anything out of this immediately gets you an eight eight hexproof kraken locks up your opponent's mana the next turn and then gets you another no, it doesn't lock it doesn't lock their mana. It locks everything but their mana. Oh, non-land permanence. Okay. Non-land. Okay. Non-land. okay. Okay. That's not quite as good then. Uh but then it gets you any permanent you want the next turn. Yeah, this is like uh, boy, I'm just like living in old man territory this episode. But this is um this is an example where I, I kind of prefer the older style of magic design, like Eye of the Storm, or even Dismiss into Dream, right? That Day of the Dragons, Decree of Silence. All of these cards ask you to put in some work and like mm-hmm. thinking. It's not that this card doesn't. There's still thinking needed to like build a deck where this is um, played to best effect, to time it right. Like it's not that there's no thinking, but it it does a lot of the work for you. And I, I don't know. It's not there's nothing wrong with that. I just don't think it's what I prefer. Right. And, you know, especially like with it being a saga, like sagas are super cool cards mechanically and artistically, especially this one. But the way that it just you know, it it is automatically creating this value for you once you resolve it. Yeah, like you're saying, there just isn't there isn't a whole lot of thought that has to go into it, at least not in the same way as the other cards we've been talking about. So I do really love this art, though. Uh, it's sort of a like ancient looking map of like it looks like a map of a globe, but I guess it's uh, the story of Kiora besting the sea god. Yeah, I also really love the uh, the art here. Um, almost all the sagas have great art. I love how adventurous wizards got. I think in like, for example, the original Dominaria, some of the art was actually photographs of physical pieces the artists had made. Um, and it totally works. Like this would look weird, I think, in a normal card. But because they, I think wizards did a good job kind of like carving out this separate flavor and mechanical identity for sagas as like a story. And therefore, this art looks totally natural. It's not depicting literally Kiora beating the sea god. It's uh, depicting Kiora. The st- it's telling you the story of Kiora beating the sea god, uh, besting the sea god. And I think, uh, yeah, it's really well executed. Uh, shout yeah. outs to Victor uh, Minguez for this one. Yeah, um, I do want to point out this uh, this and every other saga, but especially this one because of how much value you can get out of it. This is another application for clock spinning the card Uh uh-huh uh-huh right manipulate some of those lore counters and we briefly talked about chisei heart of oceans that four mana spirit Mm. from betrayers uh there seems to be sort of a relatively small archetype of chisei commanded decks in edh that are basically blue like saga decks Hmm. And the idea seems to be that you you play Kiora Best of Sea God, you play a bunch of other high value sagas, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you just have Kiora 
uh, Chise removing a counter from one of those sagas every single turn and just sort of keeping them perpetually around. So I, <laughs> I love that. I love yeah, I just I love this like janky spirit from Betrayers of Kamigawa keeping all these modern sagas alive. I love I love that um when Chise was first printed, they were like, we can't print a four mana four four flyer with no downside. What's a really hard obscure downside to work around? Ah, it's got a big counter. One. Yeah, removing a counter each turn. And then this this is such a great example of how emergent magic design is like 20 years later, almost literally 20 years later, this whole new card type comes along that suddenly renders, it doesn't make Chise good, but it gives Chise a reason to exist. That's that's pretty wonderful. Yeah, you gotta love that. So where do you rate uh, Kiora Best the Sea God? I have it at a B tier. I, I could go to A, except that I sort of resent the amount of value it creates. Yeah, I I had it at an A, mostly on the art and on Chise. Oh, I should mention uh, this is in 93% of all Chise decks. <laughs> wow, so, so they are besties. Yeah, it's about as much of a staple as a card could be. Um, but I kind of, I kind of want to come down to B because it, it is just, it's too much. It's too good. We just gotta, we gotta tell Wizards, send a message to Wizards through We this. do. If not us, then who? Yeah, exactly. All right. B for QR best, bests. B for bests. With a B, the Sea God. All right. B for bests. Okay. So we foreshadowed some expensive auras coming up and we've got the first of them here. Lay claim. 5UU for an aura from Amonkhet. Enchant permanent. You control enchanted permanent. You can also cycle it for two colorless. Yeah, this is a card. It uh, It's an aura. It, it cycles. It's about all I got. Yeah, I got a soft spot for this card just because it is so uh, cardish. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> to me, this is just kind of like... There's a certain subclass of basic cards um, that, again, kind of tickle the magic as- design aesthetic part of my brain. Um, it, it makes me want to almost build a cube of these kind of cards. I'm going to call them Duplo cards just because they're basic, like Duplo blocks, but their combinations can be interesting. I think this card is maybe one mana too expensive and or could use some upside tacked on the cycling ability. I noticed it never got reprinted, even in like Ikoria, for example, with the big cycling theme. And I'm somewhat surprised because it does feel like it could slot in anywhere. So I think it's a bit too expensive, but I like that it gives you an option to just throw it away early game if you need to, while having a big impact in the late game. It's a little awkward that it doesn't, it, the, the bridge in between those is a bit of a bummer. Um, and I suspect much of the time this just gets cycled away and doesn't uh, end up doing anything but i i don't know i got a soft spot for this card i don't have a soft spot for this art the art here is really goofy in two ways one the hand is like gigantic um there's like this super aggressive foreshortening happening where it's hard to understand how that hand can be connected to kefnet in the background like it just doesn't make a lot of sense from a scale perspective and kefnet in this appears to be like 95 feet tall um, and if you compare that to other depictions of Kefnet, like for example, the dead Kefnet in Tragic Lesson, that Kefnet is about 25 feet tall or 20 feet tall. And that uh, just really irritates me. Although I do like this kind of dragon slash crocodile guy that he's holding onto. And I kind of, I want to see more of those guys. That's a pretty fun design. Yeah. I, I miss seeing the crocodiles in Amonkhet. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't really thought about how weird this art is to me. Kefnet looks about a thousand feet tall. And then yeah. his hand is uh, like reaching from about a mile away. It looks like it's reaching out of the side of the frame. It's really weird. Yeah, I, I I do like how he's the hand is like holding this this crocodile, uh, sort of the way that like 
a mommy dog would pick up a puppy like by the scruff yeah, of the or neck. She's holding, it's holding it behind the head like you'd hold a snake. Yeah, yeah, that's totally <laughs> it. Yeah, like a snake. Like it doesn't, Captionette doesn't want to get bit by this, this tiny little crocodile thing. Okay, that's pretty great. I also noticed in the background, what the pyramid is like a Kefnet's head pyramid. You see that? There's like a giant beak sticking out of it. Oh, yeah. I don't recall seeing that in any other Amonkhet art. Okay, this is a weird piece. Hmm. What's going on here, Chris? Chris Rollis? You're out of line. Um, I don't know. Even Despite my, uh, I wouldn't say effusive praise, my praise for this, it's like at best to be, and that might be too generous. I think that is too generous. This is a D for me. <laughs> D, wow. This is boring. Just too boring. Well, they can't. We can't have all the cards be Kiora, Best the Sea God, and Eye of the Storm, right? I know. And or do you think once you get to seven mana, the they should all be that, like that? Kind of. I mean, they can't They can't all be Eyes of the Storms and Days of the Dragon. Uh, but that's, that's what the lower tiers are for, right? Hmm. Okay. Well, but couldn't there be a really inter- a really good basic design? Uh, yeah, there there could. We might have one of those coming up in a few cards, actually. But maybe it's not this card. Yeah, I like. I kind of hear you, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, it's just cycling. Like you, <laughs> cycling. <everywhere, laughs> yeah, okay. Right? It's not exactly an exciting second ability. Right. All right. D is fine. Okay, let's talk about a much stranger card, Machine, the Mind Cage from Saviors of Kamigawa. While I'm talking, go look up the art. It's weird. Machine, the Mind Cage, for you, 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 legendary enchantment. All creatures get minus X, minus zero, where X is the number of cards in your hand. Ugh. Um, I, I know, I feel like I should like this card because it's another kind of trolley shut the game down card, or at least it appears to be. I think this is a lot less symmetrical than it looks because, of course, I think really the way you use this is you play a creatureless deck that doesn't win by attacking, it wins by milling or just breaking your opponent's spirit until they forfeit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't think this is really symmetrical. Like, I think the assumption here is you get five cards in your hand and nothing ever attacks you again, and then you grind your opponent into oblivion. Um, my beef with this is it's like, it's kind of the anti-divine intervention. Like they're both trolley cards, but divine intervention like has one mission. Divine intervention is here to end the game in two (laughs) turns. Um, and this is like the opposite. This is like a recipe for the game to go on for like 80 turns. And I I don't know if I, I'm here for that. Okay. That, that does make me appreciate divine intervention more. (laughs) That's, that's a good comparison. This is like the, a card that is designed to ensure the game never ends but like what a what a kamigawa ish card for us to look at seven mana three of it designated for something that like at least on paper is just as bad for you as it is for your opponent and actually sometimes just literally does nothing if you have no cards in hand this does nothing Mm -hmm. like this would still be bad i think like just as a card if it only affected your opponent though as you're saying i think you put this you know in a in a trolley deck without creatures where you're just like waiting for your opponent's misery to end the game. Yeah. Something else that's weird about this is like this legend, the idea of a legendary enchantment was new in Kamigawa block. Uh, and there are, um, 11 of them total. There are five in champions of Kamigawa, the iconic Hondans or shrines, um, which we're still getting calls back to as recently as uh, neon dynasty. Then saviors had, Five really weird creatures that flip into legendary enchantments, all of which are pretty bad. A really fun five mana legendary aura 
that turns a creature into a badass, and that's called Genju of the Realms. And then they were like, okay, we got room for one more legendary enchantment. What should we do? What about a blue, just a random blue one that just shuts the game down? Like, that seems like such a Saviors of Kamigawa um, decision to me. It really does. For anyone who's not familiar with Saviors, so Saviors is one of the... um, least successful least loved uh sets in the history of the game it's up there with like maze's end and uh or not maze's end what was maze maze something dragon's maze in terms of unloved sets uh and one of the or perhaps the key theme in saviors was hand size matters so half the cards in the set are just this type of hand size matters effect and it's just not a fun it's not a fun thing to think about honestly it encourages you to do nothing this is sort of the Ur hand size matters card. Though. It really is. Just fill your hand and don't play any cards and then see who decks out first. <laughs> yeah, we won't promise that you'll win, but you probably won't lose. Maybe you just play it and then you each count how many cards are in your deck. Uh, and whoever has less mm. cards uh, concedes immediately. I, I like that. Uh, nice house rule. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, have you played Backgammon, Connor? <sighs> I don't think I ever have played Backgammon. Okay, so backgammon has this interesting concept where it's a fairly luck-based game and a good backgammon player can usually tell long before the game's over that they're starting to lose. Uh, And so part of the thing that keeps backgammon interesting despite this apparent design problem is that most backgammon players play for either points or money and your opponent at any point can offer you what's called the doubling cube. And what the doubling cube says is either we both double our bet right now or you concede. And I take the stakes and we move on to the next round. Mm-hmm. And so the effect is that backgammon always has this metagame going on where either of you could be doubling the stakes at any point. And so the game doesn't tend to get boring. And to me, this reminds me a, a little bit of a doubling cube and that I kind of feel like you play it. And if your opponent is honorable, either they scoop or you scoop. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, that's my uh, tortured analogy. Uh, I have this in an F, not because I think there's no home for it, but I just don't think, I don't think this does good in the world. I think this largely does evil. <laughs> I, th- I think you're right. I gave it the rare E for one reason only, and that is the weird sort of card type bending name and type of this card. Let me let me yeah. explain that. I think I understand, but why don't you unpack that a bit? It's called Machine the Mind Cage, which sounds, if you just read that name, that's a creature, right? Yes. And then you get to the type line, and it's a legendary enchantment, not an enchantment creature, not a legendary creature. It's an enchantment. And I I don't know, maybe there is one, but I don't know of any other like legendary enchantment like this that has like a sort of proper noun name, like Machine. So that's yeah, kind of interesting uh, to me. It's a good call out. It is super weird. I'm, I tried, I'm Googling. I'm not finding any... Mothership article that talks about that, probably because no one really cares about Machine the Mind Cage. But it is a really <laughs> funky name. I wonder I wonder how it ended up with that name. Yeah. I wonder if Machine means anything in Japanese. Because a lot of Kamigawa cards, you look them up and they're like, oh, it just means the thing that it looks like it means. Let me look the, that up. The real thing quick. you're looking at. Machine means, oh, this is pretty good. You know what Machine means? Lay it on me. Superstition. Oh. So it's about how your mind is in is caged by superstitions. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. Um, I didn't oh. find any description of the name. I did find a ancient daily MTG article about the sketch for this card and the original art description. So I'm going to read you the art description. Color blue, location, not applicable. Mood, mind over muscle. Action. This spell uses your own mental power to create an illusory mage that enemy creatures get completely lost in. 
Hmm. Perhaps show this symbolically with the brain whose folds come together like the passageways of a maze, with one or two tiny creatures wandering through trying to find their way out. Focus the illusory maze. Uh, I'd say uh, Thomas Gianni pretty much nailed that brief. I think so. He's got he's got it all in there. It's super gross. Huh. Super gross. Yeah. Okay. Um. So E E is fine. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel strongly about the E. If you really want to give this an F because of its uh, anti-game ending potential, I'm I'm okay with that. No, we're trying to teach Wizards lessons. I think we've established with mm-hmm. the F tier. And, you know, I think Wizards has already learned whatever lessons there were to learn from Sabres of Kamigawa. That, that's probably right. We don't need to beat that dead horse. Okay, next up is Mind's Dilation from Eldritch Moon. 5UU. Whenever an opponent casts his or her first spell each turn, casts their first spell each turn, I guess the Oracle text says, that player exiles the top card of their library. If it's a non-land card, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. I, I think I like this card. It sort of reminds me of Curse of Unbinding, uh, but I think I, I like this less as I'm kind of like reading back and, and looking at it again. This is obviously like way better in a four-player commander type setting than it is in a a 1v1 setting um but i I think it would still be pretty fun in in cube yeah i think it would be uh it'd be fun in a variety of environments it's obviously super slow and one of the things i think that's a problem here is it whiffs pretty often right Hmm. like if it's a land then tough luck and if it isn't a land it still needs to be something you want to do so i think the whiff potential here is pretty high but it's certainly a fun effect like in a lower powered um, commander environment. I think this would be pretty fun to resolve. I, I have this at like a, I had it as a D that feels harsh. I think it's like a C. This is another one where it's not bad. It doesn't like, uh, it doesn't get my brain juices flowing like Machine does say. <laughs> well, well, Machine, it's getting the, the creatures in your brain flowing. Yeah. I, this one, this isn't dilating my mind. I might say. Hmm. 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 One edge that it has over Curse of Unbinding is this triggers on every opponent's turn, right? Curse of Unbinding or any kind of curse, you have to enchant a specific player. Um, you uh-huh. just have to pick one. Mind's Dilation uh, in EDH, you know, you're getting three triggers off of this every round. Uh, so that's something, but like you're saying, if it's if it's a land, it does nothing at all. Uh, the other thing I don't much like here is the art. It's very CG looking. It's kind of, you know, it kind of looks like something from like StarCraft, like a kind of... Oh, just does. a little bit yeah. of pulp art from the brood mother or something. I hope I'm not getting that wrong. Cause I don't honestly know Starcraft that well. Yeah, yeah, I feel bad are. saying I don't like this. Cause the art here is by Ian McCaig who also did the art for Graxaplan, which is a, in my view, a signature clock spinning card. That We've never is. talked about it, but it's just a card you and I talk about a lot for some reason. We love Graxaplan. And which I have like 80 foil copies of. So I feel bad not liking this art, but yeah. I, I don't really like it. I don't, I don't like it at all. It's like, yeah, it's totally CG looking and just, I don't know, too, too shiny, too, too many too lighting effects also. going on, too tentacle. What are but those things behind her? I mean, they, they're like, they, they seem like tentacles, but they don't really look like them. They have the shape of them, but I don't, yeah, I don't know. Like My mind fingers. They don't really think, make me think of a mind getting larger, particularly. Nothing about this makes me think about a mind dilating. Yeah, which uh, incidentally, ew, dilate yeah. is an unpleasant word. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. There's really nothing in this art that makes me think like infinite power. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know, blue lady. 
Yeah, pretty much. It is very blue. Yeah, very, very blue. I'll say that. So where do you land on this? I, I, I think I'm going back to D. The more I think about the art, this is a C that's pulled down to a D by the art. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote an A at first, and then as we've been talking about it, it dropped to sort of a B, and now I'm like a C. <laughs> oh, no. So... All right, let's go to C before I ruin your pet Yeah, before it just like plummets all the way to the bottom. I feel like this is a C. All right, C works. Okay, let's go to a non-C. I'm going to spoil my own thoughts here. Omniscience, first printed in M13. Omniscience is seven, you, you, you. That's 10 mana for an enchantment. You may cast non-land cards from your hand without paying their mana costs. So to me, this is like the iconic expensive enchantment. I love that it breaks probably one of the two most essential rules of magic, or maybe the most essential rule of magic, which is like you have to pay mana for things and you only get one mana a turn most of the time. I love that it breaks that rule in a single line of text and it just makes you feel super, super powerful doing it. Like you land omniscience and you're like, I can do anything. I have broken the most fundamental rule of magic. I'm now playing Yu-Gi-Oh. Watch out, world. Uh, I just think that's great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the Yu-Gi-Oh mode card. Yeah. Yeah, I I love this. We I I think I mentioned earlier that, you know, there's there's some cards that just have a single line of text that uh are very unexciting and say very little. This is kind of the opposite. There's just very very simple oracle text here. Just you can cast non-land cards without paying their mana costs. Uh but the potential of that is awe-inspiring. Also, this is the most expensive enchantment in the game. In mana terms? In mana terms. Uh, though the, the Amonkhet invocation printing of this is also literally very expensive, around the same price as uh, um, wow, Divine Wow, 200 bones. Oh, it is pretty cool. It does look pretty cool. Hmm. Well, speaking of Yu-Gi-Oh, I remember when those invocations came out, there was all this, these look like Yu-Gi-Oh cards, like a lot of wrath on Reddit, mm-hmm. um, which I remember sort of sharing in, but now looking back, they're just like, these are so ridiculous that it's actually super cool. Yeah, they kind of, they kind of go all the way around the, the wheel of ridiculousness and come back to being cool. <laughs> yeah, and if you ever see them in person, like they look a lot better in person than they do here. They have a kind of dimensionality from the foiling. They just, they look really cool. In person, yeah, yeah. but I'll probably never see one of these in person because it's two hundred plus dollars. Yeah, I um, my one beef with this card is the name has always driven me just to distraction with rage. So in my uh, in my day job, uh, I am a technical writer. I think about words a lot, and I think the word here is totally wrong. Like this card is so. I'm I actually got out my paper dictionary. Oh uh, boy, just to look this up. So I'm going to read you the definition of omniscience, and then I'm going to read you the definition of omnipotence. So omniscience is having total knowledge, knowing everything. Omnipotent is having unlimited or universal power, authority, or force. All powerful. So this is clearly depicting omnipotence. Like it doesn't let you get cards from your library. It doesn't let you have infinite hand size. It lets you do anything with the knowledge you have. Like it just, argh, the backwardsness of that drives me bananas. That's, that is a very good point. It should be omnipotence. I feel like you're saying that in a like, calm down kind of way. <laughs> That's a very good point, Austin. No. <laughs> very good point. Super. Well, we'll, we'll the, call it a different well, name. Well, the, this is the thing, is it ties into an older pet peeve of mine, which is all the way back in Onslaught Block, back to Onslaught Block, there's a card called Arcanus the Omnipotent, who draws three cards. And these are flipped. Arcanus the Omnipotent should be Arcanus the Omniscient, because he lets you draw lots of cards and add to your knowledge. 
and uh, this 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 should be called omnipotence, Connor. <laughs> okay, buddy. Okay, okay. And you know, one more thing that really bugs me about it before we go back to saying how great it is is the flavor text. So the flavor text. We haven't read any flavor text today, but the flavor text on this is the things I once imagined would be my greatest achievements were only the first step towards a future I can only begin to fathom. Jay Spellerin. Okay, several beasts with this. One, um, if you were omniscient, you would be able to fathom that future because you would be all knowing. You wouldn't be beginning to fathom it. Two, got him. Jace Bellerin is not omniscient or omnipotent. He he's he's just a, a dude in a blue coat. He's not like Urza or something where or or um uh Yogmoth, where he's all powerful or nearly all powerful. He's just like a pretty good wizard. <laughs> he's just some guy. Yeah, he's just a dude in a blue coat, okay? Well, okay. speaking of okay. wizards, I think we need to dunk on Arcanus the Omnipotent a little bit more because he's a 3-3, man. I know. Like, if you're but omnipotent, is there you got to step it wizards up. who just, like, what, early in their life got the wrong definitions of these words lodged in their brain and they're just perpetrating this on, on the rest of us? <laughs> they're still there making blue cards. Yeah. I, sheesh. I don't know. Um... Okay, I still like this card a lot. Uh, if the name was what it should be, it would be an S tier for me. Because it's not, it's just an A tier. But it's a really good A tier. This is a fun card anyone would like to have in their deck. It's just fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I landed on A as well. Not for the omnipotence, omniscience reasons. But yeah, this is uh, this but, is an A card. But those reasons are valid and important. Yes, okay. absolutely. <laughs> Great. Let's go with an A. Okay, next up, we have Spirit Away. 5UU for an aura from Avacyn Restored. Uh, enchant creature, you control enchanted creature. Enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two, and has flying. So I just want to get out of the way right from the, the get-go. Like, this has to be a, a Miyazaki reference, right? Spirit it has away. to be, yeah. It's, it's two on the nose. It's got to be. There's a, a fantastic comment on Gatherer. I think the, the, the top comment on there, however they're organized, is that sure doesn't look like Chihiro. Oh God! No. Artists, which is kind of horrifying, but like, uh, just just great. I'm actually surprised the art doesn't make have a little bit of a spirited away reference here. I know that's that's kind of disappointing to me, and I think the reason why I won't give it a higher rating than what I'm going to give it is, you mm-hmm. know, it's just like it's some it's some guy getting carried away by something, like some kind of uh, just a creepy, blob. freaky flesh skull blob, big flesh bag. I guess it's a geist. Yeah, according to the... It doesn't really look like it's giving him plus two, plus two. You know what I mean? Yeah, he doesn't look like he's getting stronger from this. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't look like he's been been improved by this experience. No. So as a card, I I could sort of see this having like a place in kind of a janky cube. Uh, like, Ooh, I like a that. relatively low power or just like jank card cube. But that feels like about it. Like this, I could see this just winning... Uh, a limited game outside of that i don't know yeah i feel like it's seven mana here this could have had just a teeny bit more upside like maybe if it gave like hexproof and in a way i think that would actually make it feel more spirity too like to me the flavor of this card doesn't quite make sense of like the flavor and the art and everything don't line up with the effect of the flavor text here is the fear of slipping from the geist's tenuous grip overwhelmed tolo's joy at his first flight Tolo definitely doesn't look joyful in here. I can't no. blame him. Um, uh, but also, like, it, it just doesn't really look like... I don't know. It's something about this just doesn't quite work for me. Like, the name and the art and the effect are almost in concert, but they're not quite singing together in harmony. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. I'll I'll say that the, 
the flavor is almost a slam dunk for me. And I say almost because it like I could see it it uh, obviously the flying part of this makes sense. You the geist is taking control of Tolo or whatever, carrying it away, so now it has flying. Uh I guess the geist is strong so i guess plus two plus two (laughs) but like i guess what i'd want to see is maybe to add another creature type to the creature that's being taken over like adding kind of with the art something to it too like if he was if he was being kind of infused by the spirit yeah like if they were kind of becoming one thing right yeah yeah just like it it almost works if it made him a spirit or like a spirit in addition to its other types or something then i feel like i'd i'd love this more all right, we're saying close but no cigars to this forgotten Avacyn restored card. What? Yeah, where does that so. take the rating? Mm, that, that that puts me at a B. Yeah, B's fine for this. I I wonder if this has ever been played outside of a limited game, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Swarm Intelligence, another Hour of Devastation card. Swarm Intelligence, 6U for an enchantment. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you may copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. Okay, so this is basically just cast through time, but a little bit better. I think the main reason it's better, well, there's two reasons. One, uh, three reasons. One, you get the value immediately. You don't have to wait for your upkeep. Two, it costs a single designated instead of triple designated. And then three, I think quite importantly, uh, this works with counterspells. So it doesn't get worse. It doesn't just turn your counterspells into pointless recurring things with no targets. It lets you double up every one of your counterspells and make it even harder for your opponent to resolve things. Um, uh, This card isn't, Super exciting, but I think it's very functional, and I'm sure it's got a home in many, many Spellslinger decks. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have too much to add to that. This is also 6U instead of 4UUU, so it's <laughs> a lot easier to make it work in a, anything other than mono blue. I read this, and I basically thought, okay, this is cast through time two. Now you can do it right away. Um, <laughs> yep. So it's like, this is the sequel. Uh, it's easier to play. It is better. Uh, obviously, you know, would fit into the same type of spell slingery EDH deck that cast through time would, especially if you're able to like cheat out an expensive enchantment like this. Uh, and this is actually, I think fairly popular with commanders like, uh, uh, they ran voice of duality, uh, which mm. is a red blue commander, um, that gets plus one plus one whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell and has this added very unique ability that uh, if you casting or copying an instant or sorcery spell causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger that ability triggers an additional time so both your spells and copies of spells would copy the trigger of this enchantment okay that's pretty cool lots to think about there but yeah cool stuff Uh, What do you think about the art here? I feel like as I zoom in on it, it's a little bit goofy. Like the Locust God here looks very plasticky. And to be honest, like normally the Locust God looks scary as heck, but here, like his face looks a little bit derpy. Um, It's, I I don't know. It's not quite working for me. It's a little bit like uh, lay claim. Lay claim. Yeah, it is. It does have that same kind of goofy feeling to it when I think it's supposed to be a pretty serious moment in the Hour of Devastation storyline. Right. Like big, big, goofy, uh, very shiny CG looking hands on the Locust God here. I've always found the flavor here a little bit funny of like, I guess the spells become Locust spells or like, I don't know. To me, Swarm Intelligence. What's the Swarm here? 
I, well, so the flavor is the locust god's children were numberless, relentlessly eating away every trace of the city's protection, which kind of makes sense, but doesn't really feel like it would be copying incident sorceries. No. Um, I don't know. It's a little bit confused, I think. Almost as confused as the locust god's derpy face in this art. So I have this at a C, which I think is ungenerous. I'm, I, I think I could go to a B, but I struggle to get much higher than that. I think that's fair. I I was way too generous to almost all of these cards. I gave this an A, but I think <laughs> B is right. Connor is cracking down. <laughs> but these cards need to learn some discipline, and so do yes. I. Well, look, S tier is obviously reserved for Onslaught enchantments mm-hmm. and Legends. Legends once. <laughs> Onslaught and They legends. ruined the game. Yes. <laughs> They've ruined us. Uh, all right. B. Okay, next we've got yet another aura. Take possession from Future Sight. 5UU for an enchantment aura with split second. And if you don't know what that is, that is as long as this spell is on the stack, players can't cast spells or activate abilities that aren't mana abilities. Uh, enchant permanent, and you control enchanted permanent. So the advantage of take possession is, of course, that it has split second. It can't be countered. Um, your opponent can't sacrifice the thing that you're trying to take possession of. Uh, so it's going to resolve, but seven mana feels like a whole lot to pay to resolve it. Yeah. The only other thing I'll say in its defense is it can target any permanent, which is nice. So it can steal a, a planeswalker. It can steal, I don't know, a seven mana enchantment that your opponent, mm-hmm. that your opponent uh, has out on the battlefield. But yeah, I, uh, I don't know. It's not bad. It's just kind of, just doesn't feel like it really makes the grade. You know, it, it could cost six. And that that's not, it doesn't sound like a huge difference, but I think at six, this would have a home in like low power cubes or casual play in a way it just doesn't at seven. Like you're not really getting much of a mana advantage when you steal something for seven mana. That is just a lot to ask. Yeah. And like six, six mana is... There's not that many cards that just say, like, you control Enchanted Permanent. But of the cards that do exist, six seems to be sort of like the the median cost. You've got, like, Confiscate for UU. You control Enchanted Permanent. In Bolas's Clutches, same kind of thing. So seven, like, I'm not, I'm not sure that extra mana is worth it for split second. Yeah, actually, you're right. This is... Oh, I, I missed earlier that Lay Claim is also Enchanted Permanent, not Enchanted Creature. Yeah. So that... That helps it a little bit. Um, but yeah, this and Lay Claim are actually the only you control enchanted permanents that are not six mana. All the other ones are six mana. Right. I also really don't like the art here. It's like really, it's just just gross. I, so all the split second cards have this like thing where they have a bright line down the middle and they show these two different points in time, um, which is cool-ish. Although to be honest, in practice, I didn't really like many of them. I think it's a little bit too high concepty and maybe a little literal. I'm not sure we needed this visual device for split second cards in order for them to make sense. And here, I don't know. It's like the effect of being split seconded as you go from being a happy elf to a sad old elf. Like, I I don't know. It's not, it's not working for me that much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely hate this art. Like it doesn't, (laughs) it's, it's like unpleasant to look at for one thing, just kind of stylistically, it's not working for me. The like, I don't like the elf on either side of this bright blue line down the mm-hmm. middle of the frame. Um, and it doesn't really make sense, right? We're talking about taking control of a permanent. And as you said, it looks like what's happening to this elf is he's just getting really old and 
miserable and I guess blind in a split second. The background's like being under your control. <laughs> it is, I guess. Uh, you know, we really work creatures on my side of the board. Hmm. <laughs> but but like the background is completely different. So I guess I mean I, I guess he's like been transported through time or space or something, but like this just doesn't I would not in a million years look at this art and think it's about the elf being possessed. Yeah, I'm not not a huge fan here. One thing that's pretty interesting about this artist, I've never heard of this guy, Michael Filippi. So he did a bunch of art in a little bit in Ravnica and Cold Snap, like eight or nine pieces in Future Sight or in Time Spiral Block. And then nothing, nothing, nothing in Magic until he did a couple pieces in Unfinity just, you know, this month. Uh, so that's interesting that he took like a... Hmm like a 15 year break from magic and then came back to do some infinity infinity pieces. Oh, and one pretty good token art in ultimate masters. So an interesting history there. Hmm. This card got downshifted to uncommon in a uh, modern masters set, which I think is the right call. I think at an uncommon, this would be kind of an interesting effect. I definitely think opening this as your rare would have been a big bummer, especially in future site, right? It's like you can either open Tarmogoyf or you can open take possession. <laughs> yes. That would have hurt me pretty bad to open this up. I don't, I don't think we ever saw this card back in the day, but it would have wounded me to find this in a pack. Um, I have this in F. F for me too. All right. Our final... Seven mana plus enchantment of the day. Thought reflection for you, you, you. Uh, this is from Shadowmore. Enchantment. If you would draw a card, draw two cards instead. Clean, simple, pretty elegant design. To me, this doesn't quite rise to the heights of omniscience uh, in terms of clean and simple design. It doesn't have the sort of unlimited power feeling. It comes to some extent, I think, with a little bit of anxiety of like, ah, I don't want to deck myself. Um, but it is pretty cool. And I like the way it does fun things with cards like Brainstorm, right? Um, so normally Brainstorm, you draw three, you put two back. Now you draw six, put two back. That's pretty cool. And I think it has probably lots of other fun combos. Another one in Commander is Atempsis All-Seeing. Um, who wins the game or who kills an opponent if you can reveal a hand that has six different mana costs in it. And of course, Thought Reflection makes it easier to do that. So yeah, I, I like this card. I don't love it, but I think it's pretty solid. Uh, I hate, hate, hate the art here. It's like super hyper grossly detailed in this. We haven't said 90s image comic way yet this episode, but uh, put it on your clock spinning bingo card. It's hyper detailed in a 90s image comic way that just makes me feel like a little bit physically nauseous the more I look at it. I really don't like it. <laughs> that is strong. Well, you know why it looks yeah. like that. Is it by Ron Spencer, Connor? It is not only by Ron Spencer. It is by Ron Spencer and Therese Nielsen. This is Boom, now that is some trivia for you. That, well, there's more trivia. Why don't you keep this trivia train rolling? Yeah, so of course, Therese Nielsen, one of the most iconic magic artists of all time, did, you know, really notable pieces like, I don't know, the original Force of Will art. Um, Ron Spencer, also very notable. I can't say I like his art very much, uh, but he's done a lot of interesting and gross, like, maggot-themed art throughout mm -hmm. magic's history. If you go back to, I think it's one of our Black Kamigawa episode reviews, we yep. go through some of the grossest Ron Spencer art, and there's a lot of it. Um but yeah, it's uh, apparently they paired up in Shadowmoor on five pieces. Um, thought ref all the basically there was a cycle called the reflection cycle, and so we have thought reflection. This one, the gross one. We also have boon reflection in white, mana reflection in green, wound reflection in black, and rage reflection in red. 
Um, those are a little bit gross. None of them are as, as gross as this. I feel like maybe Ron Spencer took the lead on this one. Um, and Therese took the lead on some of the other ones. Um, I, I just do not like this art at all. Yeah, they, they're both the, the characters in this reflection are uh, pretty silly looking. They are. They're very, they're like Bratz dolls or something. They are. They're, they're merfolk Bratz. <laughs> Whoa. Well, I, uh, I have one final piece of, of signature clock spinning trivia for you. I was so curious about what, like, why, first I was like, why is this Therese Nielsen and Ron Spencer? And then I found out there was a cycle and I was like, okay, why, why did they collaborate on an entire cycle of cards? Like just this one time. And I looked into it a little more. It turns out Therese Nielsen and Ron Spencer are siblings. No way. Yeah, way. They are brother and sister. Whoa. And that's all I have on Oof. this card. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, rating-wise, this is like a B to me. Uh, like, if I exclude the art, it's probably actually still a B. It's not bad. Uh, it doesn't, again, it doesn't, like, make you think, how do I build a deck around it? But you put this in a blue deck that draws cards, I think you're going to be pretty happy with it, so, you know, as a one-off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, a lot of... I think especially EDH decks that this would fit into where, you know, you're just trying to draw a bazillion cards. Uh, pretty easy to see where it would slot in. So, yeah, that's a B for me too. Yeah, outside of multiplayer context, to be honest, this is a funny thing to say in a re- review of seven mana enchantments, but it feels a little bit win more to me in that it's like you resolve a seven mana enchantment and what this does is like make it marginally easier for you to close the door. But I feel like in the if you're in a blue deck where you're already resolving your seven mana spells you're like you're pretty close to winning the game yeah. anyway we're we're almost there yeah all right yeah b feels like exactly right for this thing perfect That is it for today's episode. I hope you've all enjoyed our thought reflections on these cards. <laughs> but it is almost time for a decree of silence. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Um, if you have any, as we said, thoughts or feedback or memories to share about any of the cards we talked about today or any of the black, red, green, or gold uh, seven plus mana enchantments we'll be talking about next episode. Let us know. Uh, leave a comment on YouTube or Reddit or send us an email. We love hearing that stuff and we'll uh, we'll definitely include it in the show. Until then, though, I'm Austin. And I'm Connor. Signing off. 